and welcome to What's News With You, a podcast where we discuss our top news of the week. I'm Angie and I'll be hosting on my own today from isolation. Well, not quite alone. My flatmate and one of my best friends, Latika, is here with me. Say hi. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, um, I'm Latika. Uh, I've been friends with Angie for five, six Six years. Too, too many years. Uh, uh, we met on our very, very first day at university and um, I haven't been able to get rid of her since. <laughs> we bonded over watching the uh, Horrible Histories film like the week before. Yes, yes. And um, we were supposed to be doing similar degrees, but she left. I did. Pretty quickly. I, <laughs> I left that very, very quickly. Um, okay, so this week we'll be talking one of our also major interests, uh, Drag Race. More specifically, drag race and inclusion. So as a caveat, I think it's important to mention that we're both queer and cisgendered women, but we do watch a lot of drag race. We do. (laughs) Um, So the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race aired in 2009. So it's a simple format with drama and personalities, and it's spun into 13 main seasons, six all-star seasons, and international seasons, including Drag Race UK, Down Under, Thailand, Holland, Canada, Espana, Chile and then soon to be Italia and the Philippines. It's safe to say RuPaul has all the cash flowing <laughs> in. Um, and let's not forget Drag You and Celebrity Drag Race. I think some people would prefer oh, yeah. to forget them. Uh, of course, drag's roots bega- uh, began hundreds of years before RuPaul even existed. Uh, from Shakespeare to the ball scene to Snowwall... Snowwall? <laughs> uh, to Stonewall to drag race as we know today. Although, according to almost all of the drag race roasts, it seems like RuPaul may have actually been around for all these major events. <laughs> LGBTQIA plus and drag race history is complex and rich, and I'll put some links in our bio for resources on drag history. And don't worry, it will include documentaries and TV shows too. Uh, so some shout-outs include The Death and Life of Martha P. Johnson, Pose, and The Legendary Paris is Burning. So let's talk about drag race inclusion. And there's a lot to talk about from race, gender and size, and even things as small as uh, foreign language watchers. We've been watching Drag Race Espana and half of the subtitles are off the screen. And as someone who knows like very rudimentary Spanish, I can tell you the subtitles are horrendous. And that's from someone who has like not brilliant knowledge um so anyone who actually has studied spanish at school at university would be able to tell how bad they are even Mm. more and they're worse than netflix subtitles which is saying quite a lot not as bad as now tv (laughs) (laughs) but they're pretty bad yeah so there's a lot of intersectionality between all of the groups um but the most talked about issue on the show is gender representation so the show has been laced with often transphobic language right from the start, from the use of the word tranny in many of RuPaul's older songs to the contentious phrase, you've got a she-male. <laughs> um, the conversation was reignited in 2018 when RuPaul gave an interview with The Guardian. He was asked whether he would allow, quote, biological women or transgender women on the show. And he said to, quote, drag loses its sense of danger and its sense of irony once it's not men doing it. And that... Drag is a big F you to male-dominated culture. So what do you think about that? I just, like, fundamentally, I just don't understand um, what's more of an F you to male-dominated culture than being a female representative of non-male culture. (laughs) I, 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 you know, the idea that the best way to stick your middle finger up at, you know, machismoism machismoism and male dominated culture to be a man like you know being inspired by a woman is absolutely ridiculous you know hyper femininity drag performance it should it it should be all encompassing um i was actually i'd forgotten about um how bad this all was i was uh, actually reading about it and um just just to think that someone who was such a such an inspiration for so many um people who are 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 transgender uh, to hear him say such a thing it must have really really like it must be like you know the jk rowling um controversy um and finding out that she's a turf it must have been really disappointing and really upsetting like her safe space had gone for for um transgender drag queens 
So a lot of the Drag Race alumni did criticise RuPaul's comments, um, including Peppermint, who was the first openly transgender woman when applying for the show. Um, of her, Ru stated, Peppermint didn't get breast implants until after she left our show. She was identifying as a woman, but she hadn't really transitioned. You can identify as a woman and you say you're transitioning, but it changes once you start changing your body. It changes the whole concept of what we're doing. Rue, in the same article and interview, compared transgender drag queens receiving surgery to athletes doping at the Olympics. Do you remember when that broke? <laughs> I remember I remember it breaking and um, thinking, what about detox? Yeah. What about all the other drag queens who have made the conscious decision to change their bodies? And that is because they prefer how they look with with um, implants. I, detoxes... Uh, behind definitely has been made to look more curvaceous is is that not also like doping what about chad michaels who got uh, facial surgery to look more like Cher and won snatch game as Cher? if you're having surgery to to feel more comfortable with yourself or to further your career is doping in the terms of drag race which is just ridiculous you can't cheat at drag race in the same way that you can cheat by doping at, at a sport it's just it's it's such a straw man argument it was it was absolutely one of the worst defenses of a poor opinion i've heard it's just how plastic surgery is the, like people say oh i've got the all-stars lips yes <laughs> yes it's become it's you know this kind of sort of my not minor but you know like non-gender reconstructing plastic surgery has become a joke and and you just look at um, Kylie on, on All Stars and how much more comfortable they are this time around because they are their true selves as, as a woman. And it's, it's really inspiring to see. And sure, they've had some plastic surgery. Does it make a difference? Not to us, no, but to them it's made a world of difference in their confidence and, and their ability to live their, their true life. And all we see as the audience is uh, a woman performing incredibly and surely we should be celebrating that yeah trans women have uh competing on the show like you mentioned kylie sinique love um monica beverly hills who came out on the show and then peppermint uh but up until all stars six none of these previous trans women auditioned for the show post-op gia gunn who originally competed on season six uh returned for all stars four and said that she had postponed surgery to qualify for the series more and more openly trans queens are now competing on the show, and since Rue's comments in 2018, uh, Rue apologised for the hurt his comments had caused to the community and has since changed his views. Um, as you said, Kylie and Jiggly Caliente, who competed on all, um, season four, returned to compete in the All Star 6 series that is airing now. And season 13's Got Mick is the show's first trans man to compete, after nearly 30 separate seasons of the show in the US and internationally, gender representation really does need to be addressed. Michelle Visage, Rue's BFF and fellow Drag Race judge, told The Guardian that all queens can apply for the show, not just cis men. And she went on to say, and quote, I would actually love to host my own version with bio queens and trans women. Everyone's welcome to audition. We don't get a lot of bio queens. Uh, just to mention on that comment, people now use the term AFAB queens instead of bio queens. Um, but this, I think, was a, an article from a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm, the terminology, like I said, we are very, very boring cisgender women. So <laughs> um, we are trying our best. Um, but we heard today AFAB queens, which personally I think is a much nicer way than saying yeah. bio queens. It's much more inclusive. Um, and then today was uh, the cast of Drag Race UK season three was announced, and the first ever cis female drag queen has been cast, Cardiff based Queen Victoria Scone. So, what do you think? Oh, you said her name wrong for one. It's Vic- Victoria Scone. Oh, is it? Well, oh, it's the whole point is the whole point is the pun, like Victoria's oh, gone. Oh. But I thought she said scone in that. Maybe I just misheard. Yeah. But she also sounds really posh. She does sound very posh. So I was interested in she would say. <laughs> I'm really happy. But it's, 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 it's like, not Scott on. No, not Scott <laughs> I'm happy that she's on and okay. like creating this now. It's, I feel like more inclusive than Drag Race used to be, which was quite 
you know, cisgendered men dressing up as women. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really great to see how far drag race has has come. Um, and some people might say, you know, they're playing catch up, especially with Dragula, who, which was very inclusive and diverse from the get go. Um, but at the end of the day, the mainstream tends to run a few years behind, and it is brilliant that they are making an effort we don't see tv shows actively making an effort to be more diverse enough and i know that it's kind of like well at least they're trying but it's 2021 i'm tired let me let me have this um but yeah um i was really happy when i was watching her meet the queens and um i just think it proves that you do not have an advantage if you are a woman because i can tell you for free I could not do that makeup. I could not perform like she does. I am not a singer. I'm not an actor. I'm not a dancer. I'm not a makeup artist. And I can't pad. Um, So would I be a good drag queen? Absolutely not. But that's not because I'm a woman or or not. It's because I am not creative enough. And I think creativity should not really be restricted to a gender. I think we'll talk about it with size as well. But... When you think, like, we have so many, like, gender-bending queens mm-hmm. that have previously on that do not pad. Yes. They, like, they wear traditionally feminine clothes. Yeah. But they have, they don't alter their body in the same way as other, other Aquaria queens Aquaria and, and Raja are two that spring to mind. And they're, they're seen as the fashion queens, I guess, because they sort of look more like the type of body that a model would have but also a lot of male models have similar bodies you know it's it's to say that someone who has um breasts naturally is uh at an advantage is just ignoring so many different types of drag Mm -hmm. so the show has made moves and includes dozens of gender fluid and non-binary performers like Courtney at Bimini Bond Boulash and a third of the first season <laughs> of Drag Race Espana. Um, other drag competitions, as you mentioned, Dragula, have shown that clearly the format is able to include AFAB queens and drag kings. Uh, the winner of season three of Dragula is Californian drag king Landon Sider. So Landon had auditioned for season six, seven, and nine of Drag Race, clearly unsuccessfully. Mm. Um, the irony of RuPaul's uh, comments mentioned, you know, drag being a big fu to male dominated culture, culture seems a bit lost <laughs> on him. So in Dragula season three, Landon Sider and Hollow Eve, a non-binary AFAB contestant, discussed the cisgendered male domination of the drag scene, highlighting an important conversation about the word fishy. Uh, it's used to describe a drag queen who looks very feminine, quite passing, is what people would say. Mm-hmm. The word fishy derives from the connotations linked to how vaginas smell. So what do you think of terms like fishy and basically the drag scene being dominated by cis men? I think this is quite a difficult conversation to have because a lot of drag terminology comes from a marginalised group of people that I am not part of. However... And I also am aware that a lot of um, drag queens and and gay men do sort of feel sometimes as if their safe spaces are being dominated by white women. So I am going to try to be as sensitive as possible when it comes to discussing terminology like this. However, the idea of using the word fishy, which is in itself like shaming women for having genitals almost um it it doesn't sort of sit particularly well with me and although you know using it as sort of a positive way you know it's it's not gonna like actively offend me it's not going to upset me um the way that it's used in terms of like uh the humor on um drag race down under where like the entire joke was fishy and, and sort of like eel vaginas it's not particularly it's not particularly nice, especially as um, women um, of all sexualities, uh, you know, not all women, but some women of all, uh, of all sexualities have historically been allies. Um, it does sort of feel a bit like we're, we're made a mockery of. It's hard because obviously I want to support LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, of course. But to use terms that cis 
straight men tend to use to be derogatory towards women. Yes. What Hollow Eve discussed in the show is that uh, she doesn't feel like the term fishy should ever be reclaimed mm. because there doesn't seem to be any part of it which lends itself to be reclaimed. It just seems like a derogatory term. I think I think the the issue it runs a bit deeper as well. It runs into um, sort of feminist discourse because there are so many products available for cleaning your vagina as if your natural bodily fluids are something dirty and disgusting and need to be cleansed. And that also goes into, you know, stuff like menstruation shame and, um, you know, virginity and all those kinds of very disturbing um, marketing, religious, cultural tactics used to control women and their bodily autonomy. And at the end of the day, cisgender men will never understand what it's like to be a woman full stop. So for them to use a term like fishy and to, like you say, play into um, derogatory comments used against women, it it is a real shame. And uh, actually, when I was reading up about this, um, Raja, uh, the winner of um, Drag Race season three, said that after that episode of um, Dracula Ed, they would never use the term fishy to describe femininity again. And they would only use it to describe something suspicious or if they were in a river full of fish. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So if if someone who is, um, I hope if they ever hear this, they're not offended, of a reasonable age and reasonable experience like Raja could listen to this discourse and change their mind, it's quite clear that there is an issue. You know, we're Mm -hmm. not just being offended over nothing. We're not just snowflakes. This is something that I think will eventually fall out of fashion. We are hearing terms like that less and less as the series goes on, but gender isn't the only issue with inclusion that the show has. The size of the contestants is brought up frequently on the show and by fans on Reddit and oh Twitter. But let's, um, <laughs> we're mostly talking about the show. We're not, not the talking about fans. the fans. <laughs> That's a separate issue. So since the show's inception, larger queens have been the butt of the joke and received fandom backlash from just existing. Uh, The most recent and covered examples were during the latest main season. In season 13's Miss Congeniality Roast, contestant Utica Queen made many fat-shaming jokes, including straight-up making whale noises at one of the (laughs) Nina West. After the episode aired, she issued an apology to the judges and Nina West for her jokes, uh, which were in what she says bad taste, and said that the episode was uncomfortable to watch. Did we watch that together? Or I, can, I, I, I think that I stopped watching season three halfway through because we were watching UK together, weren't yeah, we? Yeah. And that was so much more enjoyable. <laughs> um, so I think I caught up on season three when season I... Season 13. Did, season three. I would rather catch up on season three. I caught up on season 13 like in bulk later on and I do remember like having to skip past a lot of the, a lot of the roast because I just... I don't like seeing people embarrass themselves Mm. and I think that's the kindest way to describe what Utica did um, in that roast. Um, Michelle Visage did tweet back being like, you don't have to apologise, we know what a roast is and Mm. you've learned your lesson about what's offensive and what's appropriate to say. Yeah. But it, it, nonetheless, I, it left a bad taste yeah. in a lot of people's mouths. I mean, the correct thing was she was put in the bottom for it, you know? Yeah. So and she went home. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she yeah. went home, yeah. So you can't really complain. She faced consequences for her <laughs> yeah. actions. And at the end of the day, you know, a, a very, very thin queen making very unfunny jokes. I think if you, if you wanted to make jokes about size, I mean, obviously you absolutely are able to, because I'm sure as Utica is, is of a very tall and slim stature, she's definitely faced comments about her body before. Um, I think everyone's faced comments about their body before, but you know, when you, when you stand out in a crowd, you are more likely to face more comments. But you have to sort of bring yourself down as well. I mean, maybe mm. it's just my British sense of humour where you take the piss out of yourself and then everyone else. Yeah. But, you know, just... I mean, the whale noises was a bad uh, no, move, that man. One, uh, that was just... It's, then it just seems mean. Yeah, especially how she was advised not to do it during the run-through. Oh, and she yeah. did it anyway. So fat shaming and a prioritisation for slimmer queens has lasted throughout the show. Alyssa Edwards' famous back rolls (laughs) rolls. to the fact that RuPaul hosts tic-tac dinners. Yeah, that makes me feel uncomfortable. 
So the first plus-size queen who made it to the finale was Ginger Minj in season seven, and she was villainized compared to the other two fashion queens who were both slim and white. Um, and this happened all the way through the series from Roxy Andrews, Delta Work, Darian Lake, Eureka, Silky, Candy Muse. It's rare to see a plus-size queen get the same treatment as Latrice in season four, but only in season four, because as soon as she was in All-Stars 4, she was <laughs> the same way and villainized. So what do you think about this pattern of villainizing larger queens? What is it about a queen being over a certain weight, which means they're not allowed to have feelings anymore? Yeah. Because that's what I'm getting from it. Like... Especially sort of, you know, what has Darian Lake ever done to anyone? Well, she, she, just, was, she was mean to Ben de la Yeah, so from, was Bianca yeah. Del Rio. Yeah. <laughs> Bianca Del Rio was also mean to Ben de la Creme. And she, ben wasn't one of the queens that she helped out. Didn't have to help her out because she was, you know, obviously they're both really talented queens. But it's just, it's just absolutely, the more you watch, the more you see um, a pattern and... One of the things that was really sad to see was uh, Silky in, in All Star Six and mm. Silky in season um, eleven. She was super confident, super proud of herself and her, her art and her talent. And in All Star uh, Six, she was like a you know a shadow of of mm. what she was like in season eleven, and it, it was really quite upsetting to see someone who was so you know confident be so quiet and just because we all knew why it was it was because of the fans yeah and I don't even see sort of the the issue isn't with the judges here because I don't the judges quite clearly love a lot of the plus size queens Mm -hmm. you know Eureka has been back for three seasons so is Ginger and Mm. you know Delta um was you know always quite well supported by the judges and also Delta work worked on RuPaul's hair for multiple seasons yeah uh, you know the judges really do see their talent and they and they do I think reward it um fairly but it's the fans it's it's horrible to see in the 21st century so much hatred derived from how someone looks and the producers obviously are to blame because they do produce these queens to be oh, yeah. loud or bubbly or villains. <laughs> um, and there does seem to be this preference for thinness. So the winner of Drag Race UK season two, Lawrence Cheney, was I think the first plus sized winner of all the seasons. Um, for all the Western seasons, yes. The first winner of Drag Race Thailand, Natia, Natalia Pliaklam, is a plus sized queen. Cool. Um, so she uh, she said on Twitter, even when it comes down to like her hair should be bigger to proportion her body better. Maybe I want to look fat today. Like I don't want to look thin, and some people can't handle it. They think it's okay if someone's fat only if they're desperate to be thin. Make any sense? Like if you look on um, Instagram, you look on a lot of because there's you know this wonderful um, movement of um, plus size fashion bloggers. And they just wear what the fuck they want. Like mm. at the moment, there's lots of lots of them are wearing crop tops because it's summer, and they don't care that it's not in proportion, and they're not making their waist look small and their hips look big. They're like, I'm warm. I live in California. There's probably a fire going on somewhere. Let me just wear a crop top. Yeah, I th- but we we did see it on the show. We saw it in season three when Alexis mm. Mateo uh, gained weight during the show's run and was constantly told that her clothes didn't fit right and her proportions are wrong. And that's just reminded me of. In season 11, Nina West was told the same thing, that all of her proportions were wrong. And the same with... I think Tina Burner got one of the comments yeah. as well, that their shoulders were too wide and they needed to proportion out with the hair and the waist and the hips. And it's a criticism that um, thinner queens face far less often. I mean, an exception would be Tia Coffee, who was constantly told, like, you need more body. But then a lot of, you know, like uh, Pearl sometimes came out looking quite... I guess straight up and down, but it's fine because apparently there are thin women who are straight up and down, but they are there are no fat women who have slightly out of proportion body. I mean, my body isn't in proportion. Mm. I mean, who who has proportionate bodies? No one does. So the idea that you know there's something inherently unattractive about a larger a larger performer whose body isn't in in proportion is absolutely problematic and i think 
can lead to damaging um, sort of beauty standards, especially as, you know, I said, a lot of women do, does what, do watch Drag Race. And I've definitely got fashion inspiration from Drag Race. Mm-hmm. So if I'm being told like, oh, if you look like this, you're out of proportion. And I put on something similar and I look the same as, as a queen, I'm going to be like, oh, okay then. <laughs> I, I think what, from watching Drag Race, I do often compare myself and I think, why doesn't my body look like that? And it's hard to remember that these, most of them are assigned male at birth. Yeah. Their bodies you know, they don't have a uterus in yeah. their stomach. Of course, they're going to have a flat stomach if they're, yeah. you know. Um, and for a lot of them, I mean, you know, certain queens have definitely had plastic surgery. It's their, it's their career. Their body is their career. Their performance is their career. And but it's you know, it's hard to remind yourself like these are people who have to look a certain way or want to look a certain way or feel confident performing while looking a certain yeah. way. And we're just like normal people you know we're not performers so it's not just fat phobic comments there was hypocrisy when dealing with body and food shaming um for queens of different sizes in season nine after an exchange with eureka where winner sasha Velour said the infamous don't joke about that <laughs> the workroom had a kind of conversation about eating disorders uh sasha shakeably and valentina opened up, up the, about their experiences with anorexia and bulimia um, so I've struggled with an eating disorder and I do want to be cautious with what I'm saying because I don't want it to come across like it, it's their fault for yeah. the whole system being an issue. Um, but they all are conventionally thinner, slim, slim people. Yeah, there is this always a danger when it comes to talking about eating disorders that only thin people or slimmer people yeah. can suffer with eating disorders. So in the same season uh, during the reading challenge, Alexis Michelle was branded as too sensitive when multiple contestants made fun of her weight. Alexis did make fun of other people's physical attributes, made fun of uh, Shay's teeth, Yeah, um, but clearly was very insecure about her body. And following the episode, her Instagram comments were filled with pig emojis, fat phobic comments, people telling her to kill herself. And that was brought up in the finale when Valentina fans were saying, you need to, like, you should have eliminated yourself. You should have, like, walked out so she could stay and... I mean, like, no offence to Valentina stands, but also every single bit of offence to Valentina stands. <laughs> like, grow up. Yeah. You know, she... Oh, she lost her lip sync. She didn't know the word. She deserved to be at the bottom. Move on. Um, I felt like an issue with fans is they don't realise that this was filmed, you know, eight months ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and the, the, the whole thing was such a shame because... Like you said, it's quite clear that um, Alexis Michelle is does have some form of disorder relating to how she views her body, and this whole sort of idea that only you can only you know making jokes about like eating disorders is wrong. Yes, hundred percent wrong, unless you suffered with it and it's a way of coping and working through um, your your trauma. Um, but also, like you don't need to make a joke about someone's someone's body i mean i think a good way to see it is you know um the first ever reading challenge mm-hmm. when um juju b said to raven um legendary it's all legs and a dairy she was saying that to a queen who quite clearly had a huge amount of self-confidence and also was very sort of societally beautiful mm-hmm. both as a, a man and as a woman so that kind of joke works in the context where someone is very self-assured and confident but Alexis Michelle had mentioned multiple times how um unsure she was with her body and how how difficult it was with um the club kid um Mm. runway for her to come out without her padding and sort of her sort of usual body um in drag read the room yeah and you know it's one thing it's one thing the queen's making a joke and um i did not appreciate um whoever it was it's probably rue to be honest telling her oh you need to like i think it was rue yeah walk through. yeah like you know build some get it, thicker skin yeah. it's like no shut up rue you're tall and thin like stay out of this um not that you're not allowed to have your own <laughs> insecurities of your body if you're tall and thin um but you know you're not going to un- we're not going to understand how someone feels in their own body because we only understand what it's like in ours yeah i guess when it comes to things like the reading challenges and roasts 
if someone is like, I'm really confident in being plus size, you know, mm. I, I feel like it's a, it's an easy joke to make and it's yeah. something that people rely on. But if you wouldn't want that to be said to you, would you want to say it to someone else? Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, I, I I wouldn't really be very good in a roasting challenge because I'd be like, oh, I'm so scared of making someone upset. But if I were in, you know, a reading challenge, I would be like, well, personally, I have my own issues with my body. So why would I make the same comment to someone else? Yeah. I think about the things that like, I wouldn't want people to make fun of my body per se, m- relating to thinness no. or size but if someone makes a joke about having h cups yeah or, yeah exactly because it's something that we joke about regularly or yeah. it's like someone wants a joke about like i don't know i've got really small ears yeah or i've got i've got weirdly small feet <laughs> yes that's fine but you know anything sort of related to my weight keep it yeah. keep it keep it away yeah so on Twitter, season eight winner Bob the Drag Queen pointed out that all of the top followed queens on Instagram were thin and white, and those with the fewest tend to be older, POC, and plus size. Which brings us to race, which there are probably a lot of examples here. Yeah, I think I think the really sad thing is when it comes to reality TV shows, Drag Race actually is one of the most diverse, and. Um, does have a hugely diverse winner's circle. Um, and that makes this even more sad, the fact that we have to talk about this, because it, it does lie with the fans a lot of the time, especially with the US series. Yeah. So there have been many examples of racism on the show and specifically from the fan base. And the first example that I saw was in season 10. Um, the first season I saw as it aired was season 9. And in season 10, in an episode of Untucked, there was an extremely aware and like meta conversation between the Vixen and Aquaria. The two had had, had a tumultuous relationship during the first three episodes, and the tension came to a head um, after the main stage in episode three. During this heated conversation, Aquaria, who is a very thin white queen, very young, um, I think she was the youngest on that season yeah. as well, began crying because... I mean, it, was, it was just a conversation yeah. about like I think who's, it was about who's oh your best drag is someone else's wig yeah and that's yeah pulled off into uh, um, in the response in response the vixen a black queen um, called the situation as it read to the cameras the angry black woman making the poor white girl cry and the other queens in Antart agreed and it was where rare to see this hyper aware situation play out on TV and what did you think of it when that aired. It was something that I actually hadn't thought about before. Um, so again, just clarification here, I am technically a POC, um, but I'm white passing mixed race. So when it comes to sort of issues of race, especially in America, I'm, I'm not the most informed. It's not my life experience. Um, and I'd never thought about how it would be portrayed to the camera that the Vixen made Aquaria upset, as far as I was concerned. Like, I just saw Aquara being a bit overdramatic. But it was actually really heartening to see the other queens, and especially, you know, Asia O'Hara. What what a drag queen. (laughs) One of the best drag queens that the the series has um, introduced me to. Her and Bob the Drag Queen are my favourite. But um, it was really heartening to see the Vixen get so much support for what is actually a really sensitive and brave topic to bring up, especially then, untucked, when the cameras were rolling. So it was great to see. I thought it was really... I think a lot... It actually taught a lot of the sort of more thoughtful members of the fan base quite a lot as well. Well, I think Aquarius set a great example after that episode because after that, Aquarius did kind of do some soul searching yeah and by the time the finale came the vixen was like who are you going to support everyone black and aquaria <laughs> yeah i mean that was that was just like the call of like the reddit at the end it was like we just love everyone black and aquaria and i really think aquaria is an example of how you can be a white ally yeah. um and as she's sort of got older i've seen her sort of shut up and listen more and more but she's also using her platform. Yes. Like, she's calling out people when, you know, they're saying racist. Yeah. And I think, like, you know, out of all the skinny white queens, her fan base is probably the least racist because if they try to be racist, she'll tell them to go away. Yeah. I think it's... They're, her and Courtney at oh, really use yeah. their their platform And their to, privilege. And their privilege to heighten 
voices yeah. that aren't really heard. Yeah. So the Black Queens do face the most backlash from so-called fans. In season seven, Kennedy Davenport faced it after sending home fan favorite Katia. In season nine, it was Nina Benina Brown. In season 11, it was Raja and Silky. And in season 12, Widow Von Du. <sighs> and then Drag Race Down Under <laughs> just existing. Oh, no. <laughs> so we'll, st- we'll start with uh, Scarlett Adams. She made it to the DRDU final, um, but it had emerged just before she went on the show and then while she was on the show yeah. that she had performed in blackface in 2012. Yeah. Just, just she, was in her, she was in her late teens. She was able to perform in clubs yeah. at that point. So over 18, we would yeah. assume. She was not a child. No. Also in yellow face. And in brown face. And in brown face. <laughs> Um, Adams had previously apologised when that stuff resurfaced in um, 2020, just before she went on the show. It was brought up on the show, but only after all the POC and queens you had already left. You all the POC the, the queens, two. the two of them. The two of them. Um, luckily, we had etc. etc. really holding Scarlet account. And have a great example of how to be a white ally. Yes. So I watched this, actually today, uh, just to refresh my memory of the situation and it just oh it made me so I'm glad you watched it because I wouldn't have been able to cope (laughs) so when Scarlett brought it up she was saying like I do regret stuff that I did in drag but it's really not me anymore and I made I made a mistake and she said things like when I was a lot younger and stupider and uh, I like many other queens in the scene I'd just like to ask you a question Angie Um, as a teenager did you ever feel the need to do blackface I can't say I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked because sometimes when I read these apologies, I feel like, where was my overwhelming urge to be really racist yeah. when I was between the ages of 13 and 18? And f- you know, because Scarlett a- Adams, she's around the same age of us, no? Yeah, she's very similar age. Yeah, so, you know, I, you lived in, like, the whitest place in the UK. <laughs> yeah. And I lived in West Yorkshire, which isn't exactly known for its, like, progressiveness. I mean, some areas are, but not the one that I lived in. Um, but somehow we both resisted that urge to go to a club um, in 2012 um, in blackface. Yeah, and that perform for money. Yeah, I, I really think that we should get a sainthood for that. I, I agree. I, it's not, I think I should also get a sainthood because I was the one calling people out for mm. wearing those Catholic bracelets when they weren't Catholic and putting fake bindies on. Oh, That oh, really yeah. got to me as well. I was like... Yeah. <laughs> I just like, people were like, why are you offended? I'm like, I'm not offended. I just think you look dumb. <laughs> you know, the Catholic, the Catholic bracelets were weird. They were so cheap. Yeah. They were so cheap. <laughs> from Claire's. Yeah. I just everyone went to... They bought the same one from Claire's. I, I, I never really got that. And the fact that people wore crosses. Yeah. I was like, why are you wearing them when you don't really believe in it? Yeah. It's, it's not a fashion statement. It's someone's... Because I was a bit... I was a bit of an emo uh, shock horror when I was a 15-year-old. And the fashion was the upside-down crosses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had that too. Yeah. And I feel like at least that is making a statement. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're wearing your standard cross just like it's like when people have like the sort of jesus tattoos <laughs> yeah and you're like when was the last time you were in church hun yeah is it like christmas 2011 easter sunday yeah you've been dragged there by your nan i know it <laughs> so oh, back to the scarlet adam situation <laughs> so the the queens were i feel like rightfully shocked yes. and that's the well, that, if someone that I knew had done blackface I'd be like, what the hell and also if she was trying to drag every one of you in it like yeah. me like every other queen <laughs> um, so I think it oh, who was it um, Art Simone mm. was like so Scarlett said that she, her purpose was like I was doing it for a joke I wanted to be funny yeah. and, and uh, Art was like what's funny about appropriating someone's culture mm-hmm. and um, you know <laughs> Uh, and how can blackface just be a mistake? Yeah. Um, she d- like Scarlett was making excuses, like how she was she was brought up in quite um, a racist area. Where yeah. She dragged Maxie into it, being like, "You know, Maxie, what it's like to be like that." Saying how racist things would just be casually thrown around, and I know that at school, like yeah. you just have racist stuff being said. Yeah. But then no one put it further, and then did blackface. There's a difference between like unlearning casual racism as etc said and then doing blackface uh, and performing for money etc was like there needs to be some 
sort of reparation for yeah. it because it's one thing saying an apology being like that's a mistake and then doing nothing about it and not undoing the harm that she'd done so then we get to the main stage oh, where after the challenge was like rue said before scarlet left brought up the fact that she had done blackface michelle was like oh, yeah oh <laughs> um scarlet then apologized on the main stage and did use etc as words i think she just learned what systematic oppression yeah there's parroting going on yeah um and rue was like some people would want me to cancel you but i think this could be a a good experience of how you can learn so just let her stay in the competition was like you you are forgiven by everyone who is black yeah well that's that's my issue firstly rue is black rue is not south asian rue is not east asian so fine forgive her for black face what about the brown face what about the other face secondly rue is one person (laughs) and rue is also one american person the racism in um australia is it's different to the racism in the us it's both they're both you know heinous and awful but how is an american person going to be like well i forgive you an australian drag queen for what you've done he, he, he you know Rue has no idea I assume that he has no idea like how bad it is in in Australia like how little voice how few you know how quiet a voice people of colour have and how horrendous the indigenous populations have been treated and how horrendously they still treat refugees and people from minorities and people who are South Asian East Asian in in Australia because it's absolutely horrendous just the idea that this one man can speak for all of us you know it's quite upsetting yeah i think that's what um going back to fans thinking that the show is airing live yeah like they can do stuff about it um i think because that came out and the backlash that scarlet received she didn't win yeah because the producers were like that's gonna be a bad yeah example for art like we're yeah not- <laughs> it was just it was just it was just like you know I don't understand why she was even put up as, like, she had quite a bit of a winner's edit for the first few weeks. Yeah. And it's just ridiculous that um, the producers and Rue thought that people would ignore something as awful as blackface, brownface, and the excuses were horrendous. So Adam said in an Instagram apology after the episode aired, I am ashamed and this is something I've tried to forget. I've come to realise in recent years that taking responsibility and admitting my mistakes is an important learning experience. There is no way to sugarcoat it. When I was a teenager, roughly eight years ago, I performed in blackface slash cultural appropriation. I was young and ignorant. I am no longer this person. Actions, not words. Yeah. Actions, not words. And I've seen nothing that makes me feel like she has changed the person. It's such a sort of like PR apology. Well, it's, it, it's reminding me of Shane Dawson and Jeffree Star. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, what, Jeffree Star's excuse of, these women were mean to me, so I used, like... I got down to their level... Because they were being homophobic. He got down to their level yeah. and used racial slurs and then has just, you know, gone through the rest of his life calling, like, comparing black women to, to gorillas and other horrendous... Ra- yeah, it's just... Oh, it really, it really makes me upset because, like, as as someone who is white passing and, and mixed heritage, you hear these kinds of excuses said to you all the time, and sometimes they have, you know, people who are sort of saying these, you know, very racist or making excuses for racist um, um, actions. They have no idea that that I'm not, you know, white British, and it's just sort of the idea that. They think they can get away with it. And in Scarlett Adams' case, she almost got away with it. And mm. if it weren't for the fact that, for once, the fan base actually like responded as I would want them to <laughs> respond and was like, absolutely, we do not want her to win. It, it, she could have she could have won. She could have won and she could have been the first ever winner of Drag Race Down Under. Just another sort of like stain on, on the history of uh, you know race in, in that country. But yeah... I just I read that apology and I just thought you've proven nothing you've proven absolutely nothing until I see you like actively try and be better and educate yourself and it was the fact that you know her education came from another white person there's only so much that etc was able to teach Scarlett um because etc 
etc is like life experience is of a white person until i see scarlet like you know interacting with people of color and learning about their their experiences i i don't see how i can say she's forgiven yeah you know for me i i mean i grew up in a very white area i think we had two people of color in my whole year at school like it it, very white and and then going to durham as well there's a lot of white people there um i i i I was very ignorant because i had never really been exposed to racism obviously than other people saying you know microaggressions and racist things when other people aren't around it's just white people yeah um and then when uh george floyd died was murdered yeah um and then seeing so many people post about their experiences i was like i feel really guilty for not having learned this before yeah and then reading (laughs) reading stuff about it looking into it for myself because it's not other people's job to teach me no. how to be a good person no it's not it's not it's your it's your job to go out and educate yourself i remember when speaking of of durham i remember being at durham and like constantly having to defend myself because people were like you're too easily offended and sort of seeing quite a few of these people over the last like four or five years um actually educate themselves um about sort of racism and institutional and systematic racism in the uk I, it does make me feel like the kids are all right almost <laughs> like there are a lot of people who are trying i just don't think scarlet adams is one of them no <laughs> no I, I remember being someone who is disabled mm. and also being a woman it's hard to advocate your rights and how what people say are inherently misogynistic yeah. Yeah. and the fact that i've been told like that I'm not allowed reasonable adjustments to go to work. Oh, yeah. It's exhausting to have to explain that to people. Yeah. So I can't even imagine what it was like after, during the BLM protest. I bet every single black person in this country had a white friend come up to them and be like, tell me more, please educate me. Oh, my God. Uh, You know, it's. I do appreciate people asking, for my opinion, when it comes to, like, discussing systematic, systematic racism in the UK, but sometimes my opinion is it exists yeah (laughs) what do you want me to do about it yeah like you know and and also also the fact that that, um there's only so much that i can do about it i am i am still a beneficiary of white privilege so the fact that people sort of come up to me and they're like here's what's your opinion i'm like well my opinion is colored by the fact that i still look like a white woman (laughs) like you know read some books watch some tv shows there's loads out there there are a lot of people on tiktok and instagram who are openly sharing their stories it's not hard to find them yes another (laughs) contestant from drdu uh karen from finance was equally not equally actually less so she was called out online after images of her tattoos leaked and she issued an apology for a large gollywog tattoo that she had um which has been covered up quite a few years ago um gollywogs are dolls that i didn't know about until Mm. this episode aired um that depict like minstrel jim crow like caricatures of black people um in the 70s and 80s these dolls were everywhere especially in new zealand and australia i spoke to my mum about it and she said that she had one as a kid yeah which was quite i I didn't realize it was that um widespread um karen said that she had a large collection of the dolls when she was a child as well she said this in her apology uh, such awful memories. I had that tattoo covered over and erased years ago. I was mortified when I eventually realised how ignorant I'd been in learning about its origins and inflictions and was devastated at the thought of any pain that it may have potentially caused to others. While critical, the response to Karen's past has been less severe. And do you think that's somewhat reasonable? Well, like I said before, actions, not words. She did the action that was needed, which was covering up the tattoo. And uh, my mum lived in New Zealand when she was around six, seven. And she also had um, gollywogs and um, they were sort of some of her favourite toys. And I actually remember as a child, um, I'd gone to see my grandparents and they had some of the dolls still. They'd taken that, you know, clearing out the attic. And I actually sat down and told me about like the history of these dolls and um, why they're not acceptable. And I do genuinely believe that you could grow up in Australia and New Zealand and have no idea what these dolls represent, especially because, I said, they're minstrel Jim Crow and that's so linked to American history. 
you know, you can imagine a, a child in, in Britain or Australia just not knowing because it's not taught in schools. It's not something that our governments, have, you know, deem important enough to teach us, um, especially not in the 70s and 80s under Thatcher. Um, she covered up the tattoo. She apologised for her ignorance. And um, I do believe that she's actually read and learnt and the apology just seems a lot more genuine especially because the tattoo's now gone well yeah and, and years ago it does feel like that yeah. work's been done and... and i think you know because we both know very non-racist women <laughs> who owned those dolls as children there's that sort of like like we said before we've never felt we had to do blackface at 16 but our parents when they were six or seven had these dolls you know it's, it's completely different um completely different scenarios, I think. So, Drag Race Canada didn't just have race issues limiting to blackface. Um, <laughs> indigenous and queens from Asian descent have also faced similar maltreatment. The only indigenous queen on DRDU left in week one after an extremely emotive and powerful runway outfit representing Australia's uh, <laughs> indigenous people, um, the Aborigines. Uh, then a couple weeks later, the only black queen left, leading to Scarlet's Revelation episode 5. So we recently watched an episode of Drag Race España, which kind of angered both of us. <laughs> Do you want to explain about that? Uh, the episode was fantastic. Um, Drag Race España is brilliant. If you have an hour and a half every evening, <laughs> I highly recommend. Javier Ambrose. Oh, we're, we're obsessed with one of the judges. More <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to, back to the, the serious issue at hand. Um, so um, Drag Race España... Um, one of the contestants was an, an indigenous queen from Bolivia called Inti. And um, for the well, this runway theme was Your Roots. Um, so she came um, dressed as a, um, dressed in the traditional costume of a specific Bolivian festival celebrated by um, in the indigenous people of Bolivia, where they would sort of dress up um, as, I guess, mythical beasts almost to, to scare off the colonizers. And when I saw it, and when you saw it, um, we were just like, this is beautiful. This is, you know, really elaborate cape. It was a beautiful headpiece. She looked incredible. Now, the judges, who were all white, mm -hmm. all white and from Spain, as far as I'm aware, um, from my uh, intensive Wikipedia ring, <laughs> um, they, they were like, oh, we could have had more. We could have seen more. And it's like, this cape was like really intricate, int intricate. In, in? Intricate. Intricate. There we are. And it was, it, you know, it was absolutely stunning. And like, what more could she yeah. have had? The makeup was beautiful. Yeah. Everything fit together. And, you know, it was just sort of like we were seeing someone who was so proud of their culture, which, uh, you know, we know what colonizers are like. They would have tried to stamp out all sort of like, you know, self-expression and you know history of these indigenous people like they tried to kill most of the indigenous people um, especially in uh, south america but to hear to hear that being torn down by a bunch of white people it must have been absolutely gutting to hear um and she left after after that episode well she refused to lip sync yeah because she felt like she was being unfairly treated yeah and you know i have my i have my personal doubts about whether she was unfairly treated in episode one and two but in episode three absolutely i would have left if i would i would told that if i'd come wearing a sari or you know another uh, costume from the indian subcontinent and they told me to put more on like, unless I came dressed as Padma and Pavati <laughs> from Harry Potter. Or you'd just got one from a costume shop. Yeah. Oh, no. no, you know, but even if I'd got one from the costume shop, it's my bloody culture. Yeah. I can do what I want with it, you know? It's like, yeah, I think the issue is most of the time when judges say this needs to be elevated, it kind of does. But yeah. it wasn't. It was amazing. It was already elevated and it was so emotive and it was you know, the definition of my roots. Because yeah. it wasn't just, like, my hometown. It was the history of my people. And it was ballsy, you know, putting it on in front of the colonisers almost. But, yeah, I'm I'm glad that she she made her choice and left. And um, I have nothing but respect for her. And I followed her on Instagram <laughs> immediately. Um, so it's not just... Drag Race Hispania as mm -mm. well. In earlier seasons of Drag Race, indigenous culture was appropriated on the runway. 
Raja from season three had two looks which were inspired by Native American dress. Um, after backlash, she wrote on face in a Facebook post. God, this ang- oh. <laughs> When was this Facebook post written? Um, I, well, she was on Drag Race in. I think it was like 2011. Oh, God. Bad times. <laughs> I travel a lot more than you. Bite me, get a passport, and gag on my sick-ass style. I think it's quite important to point out that just because you are a minority doesn't mean that you can't discriminate against other minorities. Yes. As someone who, who is um, of Indian heritage, I'm more than aware that there's some dodgy shit going on. So, <laughs> um, And then in season nine... Um, Alexis Michelle, who, it's not her fault. No, it's not at all. Um, was asked to make an outfit inspired by Felipe Rose, the Native American member of the village people, um, which Rue said, oh, after seeing the outfit, your Native American couture left the judges with reservations. Talk about, oh, Well, gosh. all I'll say is when I read the Wikipedia page about Native uh, American reservations, I cried. So yeah. for, uh, for that to use, be used as a cheap pun, come yeah. on. So this was the challenge and Alexis had to work with what she was given. There were six iconic members of the band and only five contestants in the competition left. So instead of using the Native American member, they could have chosen the, the sailor. sailor. Which would have... Yeah, you know. especially because none of the five left were, were um, you know, indigenous. Yeah. It, it was just a poor choice. And I think you could really tell as well, because what, what Alexis Michelle created, I would not describe as culturally appropriate. No. Pro- appropriative in any way. And you could really tell that she was trying just to make a beautiful outfit. But the other four had so much more room to to work because they didn't have to, you know, tiptoe over sensitive issues. Yeah. And it's it's just a, a real shame that they couldn't have picked the sailor. There's so much... I mean, like, the Navy is, you know... <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so It could be so good. Uh, um, but not all representation is poor. So the Indigenous Queen from Australia, as I mentioned already, Jojo Soho, um her outfit represented Aboriginal culture um, for the category There's No Place Like Home. And on the back of her outfit, it had written Always Was, Always Will Be, which yeah. I... Extremely powerful. Yeah. I'm very sad that she went home. Yeah. But she got... I mean, she was able to represent yeah. her, her culture. And then Canada's Drag Race contestant, Alona Verley, is Two-Spirit, and I, I really hope I don't get this wrong, <laughs> is Enlaka Pamux. I don't, I, I'm I've, sorry, yeah. I'm dyslexic, and I tried to Google the pronunciation. Um, I did write it phonetically. Um, so for her finale, runway look, she represented her heritage and paid tribute and awareness to the thousands of missing Indigenous women in Canada, which is... it's fan- It was fantastic, because yeah. it made a lot of people like ask Google, and it, yeah, it's a perfect way of saying... I've told you the main event, educate yourself. Yeah. Because I've and learned a lot more. Looking into it, it was just, yeah. it's, it's been going on for so long. Yeah. And oh, Google it. I'll put, I'll put um, a put link in the bio. In. Yeah. yeah. So we are seeing more and more queens representing their culture and heritage in their looks. And not just POC queens. I remember the, um, the, the finale looks for All Stars 5, where Jujube, Shekule and Miss Cracker all represented mm. their, like culture and background yeah. like Miss Cracker had that like fantastic beautiful. Russian look beautiful I think about all the, the sort of hometown queens look from um, Drag Race um, UK season 2 as well like Bimini's yeah it, it just sort of brought me back to a different time yeah. well I, I'm just thinking about um, Gothic Kendall oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think now it's I'm allowing you time to talk about Priyanka I love Priyanka <laughs> Um, yeah, so Priyanka, is, um, spoiler alert, is the winner of uh, Canada's Drag Race and she is um, of indo um origin. Um, and fun fact, there's only been two queens of South Asian descent in every single, all across um, the drag race. There's Jeannie in Drag Race Thailand 1 and Priyanka, that's it. Uh, where's so- where's um? Oh, Raja's from Indonesia. Yeah, so Southeast Asia, slightly different. (laughs) Um, um, So when she was on the show, she hadn't actually come out to her father yet. Um, And I believe that being gay is still illegal in Guyana, where her father is originally from. 
So drag race was also her her coming out almost. And uh, for me, it's something that really sort of hit home because um, coming from a South Asian family myself, like sexuality is something that is never really spoken about. My dad once came out with the fantastic line of, Latika, it's okay if you're a lesbian, but your brothers will never be gay. And it's like, (sighs) dad, so close, (laughs) yet so far. But there is still this idea that like being, being gay, being a feminine man is so shameful um and to see Priyanka you know it it must have been such fantastic representation for um gay and femme South Asian um men and and it was very inspiring for me to see her on 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 my screen like immediately she was my favorite I'd never Mm -hmm. seen representation like that for me before um and what I loved about Priyanka so much was she really um brought in elements of of India and um, sort of her Indian heritage and culture into her runways, like mm-hmm. her um, pageant look. It was oh, Bollywood, yeah. it was beautiful. And her finale look, I cried. I cried with yeah. her finale look, I was just like... It was beautiful. Yeah. And and what you're saying now makes it even more powerful, the fact that despite, you know, potentially being illegal to be who she is back yeah. home, she's still celebrating who yeah. she is and where I, she comes from. I'll take Canada's Drug Race, their makeover episode where they had um, refugees. Oh, yes. That was, I mean, Canada, Canada's Drag Race, they had some of the most interesting conversations around, like, sexuality, gender identity, diversity, and freedom out of all of the series. And, you know, I think people don't appreciate enough, like, how wonderful Drag Race Canada was when it came to these difficult conversations. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yes, it was great. Oh. The judging... A bit there. But the contestants were all fantastic. I mean, we can't fault Stacey, though. Oh, we love Stacey. I'm heartbroken she's not going to be back. But hopefully back for season three. Yes. But I I was saying yesterday, it was yesterday, that my, like, judging panel, that my ultimate judging panel is Carson, but only during lip sync. (laughs) Um, Reese from Drag Race Down Under. The only shining point other than um ketamine and, oh, and anita, anita. wiglet oh, oh. um and then stacy yeah. from canada's drag race and then javier ambrosi oh we love javier ambrosi <laughs> drag race has brought us both a lot of joy and it's been a strong force in seeing marginalized groups represented represented on international tv yeah inspiring a generation to be and love themselves the show does have a really, really long way to go until they are truly exclusive, uh, inclusive. Uh, in the casting of queens, the representation on the show, and in the <laughs> fan base. But you know, it's hard to like, how do you control people on Twitter and Reddit? Yeah. But for now, it's been lovely to have you on the podcast. It's been a very long episode. <laughs> um, I'm sure you'll be back at some point since you are literally living in this house. Yes. I'm sure that I'll be uh, dragged back in. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about racism. <laughs> Um, do you have any last thoughts? Um, I guess my last thought, my final thoughts are like we've we've you know pretty much dragged Drag Race, but like I said right at the beginning, it has shown much more diversity than the vast majority of TV shows um, that are on our screens at the moment, and you can see it's inspiring other TV shows to increase their diversity. And there's always room for improvement, but I think we always need to remember that like things can get better and we've got to try and keep a more positive mindset i know it's easy to say like you know sometimes things don't get better you just have to look at the uk government to to see that but drag race is trying its best and the queens themselves um, the majority of them are fantastic people and you know huge advocates for equality across race gender sexuality and um i'm really happy to have been introduced to so many of these wonderful performers and activists um so overall positive message and they do (laughs) and on the show they often talk about very important issues like the aids crisis yes about um oh what's it called section oh section 31 23 23 let me google that before i Oh, they also talk about Marsha P. Johnson and mm-hmm. uh, Stonewall and... Um, I just think of um, Derek Barry being like, and people died at Stonewall. <laughs> no one I, No, when I think of Derek Barry, I think him asking uh, Kim Chi, did you come from North or South Korea? Oh my God. 
and um, a lot about sort of LGBTQ plus history, a lot about um, uh, well the way that in different indigenous peoples, which section was it? Section 28. Section 28. We were both wrong. Well, they're basically tw- eight, threes and eights are the same thing, just a little bit extra. And I was only three off. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I am very happy that we do have that representation. Yeah. Um, it was something that I was missing, I think, um, from TV as I was growing up. And it's nice to know that there's going to be so many like kids, and not even just kids, so many older people who can finally see themselves represented on mainstream TV. Um, one thing I've noticed, actually, in the past few years, I just want to use this as my final thought. Adverts hate the things, but have you seen how many uh, same-gender couples there are now? I know! And um, same-gender and mixed-heritage couples. And it's just it's just great to see. Um, it's like, woohoo, you're pandering to us now. <laughs> but, you know, it, it means that now people of all races and uh, genders and backgrounds are considered to be important capitalist uh, machines. yeah we're gonna buy stuff (laughs) but on that note uh thank you for listening you can find us on instagram and twitter at wnwy underscore podcast um well uh thanks for listening to us and we'll see you soon Bye. bye